shot me and stabbed me and hung me and scalped me and kicked me in the shin. Baby, it's wax that you love me, but it wanes when we're apart. It makes me cry like a baby, baby. And the only tissues I can use are your heart. But there's one thing I can cling to. Shows me where you're coming from There's just one thing makes me know you love me And that's waxwork.com Hello and welcome to the second episode of Cast in Wax. My name is Jordan D. White and I am the host of this podcast bringing you all sorts of crazy radio serials on the internet. With me here is my co-host, Frank Allen. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing quite good. And yourself? Not bad. I'm not bad. And also with me is another co-host named Rory Sinjin. Good day, sir. I hope that you are doing quite well. Yeah, I said I was, so yes, I am. And you? Yes, fine. And of course, my final co-host, Scape the Cat. He is a cat. He is my cat. He is wonderful and he is gray. Thank you. I am wonderful. How are you today? I said I'm good. Thank you. Okay. Good, good snippy. Sorry. Are you doing all right? I was. Now you're getting snippy. So. Okay. Chill. Fine. Next time I'm not going to ask how you are. Okay. So we've got a great show for you today. Uh, What have we got? We've got four different serials. All amazing things. The first one's going to be called Guard Duty. The next one's going to be a new one called Decker and Hayes, followed by another new premiere, Debatatorium. And finally, the second episode of the show, Epic Echoes, or perhaps I should say the second to last episode, because that's the backwards series. Very confusing, but yes, that is the second to last episode in a way. In a way, in a way. First up, let's uh, let's see. Did anybody have anything interesting happen to them this week that they want to mention? Well, I got treaties the other day, uh, and white food too. Both. I, yeah, I said interesting. I was interested. Nobody else is interested. No, he's right. Nobody else is interested. I was a little interested. You're, you're just saying that to be disagreeable. Did anything happen to you or what? Well, as a matter of fact, our, my grant actually got expanded today because we discovered an entirely new subsection of alternate worlds. So, yes, in fact, I had a very spectacular week. And yourself? Oh, you know, uh, just doing my, my, my thing, doing my job, and, you know, that's fun, and working on the podcast. Frank, did anything exciting happen to you? Did you Have you heard anything about the uh, your, your radio career prospects? No, thank you for asking, though it's good of you to ask, because yes, in fact, I should I should reiterate that I am looking to get into national broadcasting, so if anybody hears this and is a national broadcaster, I wouldn't mind uh, if you called up with a job. You know, I mean, that's not incredibly likely. I mean, most, most I would imagine most, most uh, people hire from other things, not like podcasts. Yeah, but you never know. Look, I'm just saying you never know. They haven't gotten back to my actual application, so... Is there... I mean, do you think maybe there's a reason for that? Like they're... Like they're busy or something? That's... That's a reason, so... Well, yeah, I'm sure they have a reason, but, you know, they should get on with it, find it, and, uh, you know... Allow you to get... To be rid of us. Well, no, look... I don't want to talk about this anymore. Oh, we on a, is it a sensitive subject? Just, just, let's, can we, what about, guard, you know, okay, let me, let me introduce Guard Duty. Guard Duty, Guard Duty is a show in which uh, we are with a pair of superheroes who are on Guard Duty, waiting, monitoring for emergencies. In the last episode of Guard Duty, we were with a, a hero called the Jack and a hero called Dr. Fast. And uh, they, they discussed some things and then they saw on the news that there was an attack on the Stanton building by a group called the Sysops, a group of villains named uh, WYSIWYG, Dragon Drop, the troll, and pop up. They went off to take care of that, and that's where the show ended. So now this is going to be a new episode with a different set of heroes, correct? Absolutely correct. That was a good, that was a good introduction. This is the second episode of Guard Duty. Enjoy. The Earth Guard. 
the planet's most powerful heroes united in the common goal of protecting the innocent people of planet Earth and defending them from threats of all kinds. From the Guard Tower, their base of operations, they watch over the citizens and spring into action at any sign of danger. To that end, the Guard takes shifts, monitoring events all over the globe. Sooner or later, they all have to take a shift of Guard Duty. This week, the stallion and broadband, and working hard or hardly working. I'm not saying you're not a great leader. Then why would you undermine my authority right in front of everyone? I know these people. They're my villains. I fought them for years. They were attacking my building. It doesn't matter. Once the team is in action, I'm in command. If I say to leave WYSIWYG to Ocean Man, you do it. If WYSIWYG had set off the EMP, I would have been useless. Not to mention the hundreds of millions of dollars of projects it would have destroyed in my building. When you're a member of the Earth Guard, the team comes first. Perhaps you've forgotten that without Stanton Enterprises, there is no Earth Guard. Or were you going to move the whole team into the stable? Because last time I was there, there wasn't nearly room. Let's not forget I brought you into this team. Just because you fund it doesn't mean you own it. Not all of us can be the heads of billion-dollar corporations. Some of us has to work for every last bit of equipment we use. While others among us can spend that energy doing even more good for the world. Just because I'm rich doesn't mean I'm selfish. And just because you're our leader doesn't mean you're always right. As far as I'm concerned, you should be thanking me. If I had done what you said, we would have lost that fight. You see? There it is. You think you could lead this group better than I could. That's nonsense. It is not. This isn't an isolated incident. What are you talking about? How about when we fought Suspiria? That was different. We thought she'd taken control of you. But if you'd trusted me, she wouldn't have gotten away. You were telling us to ignore the impending detonation of a nuclear weapon. Because I knew it was a fake. You could have said as much. Or I could have assumed the team I lead would trust my judgment. If I can't count on the team, I'm better off on my own. That isn't fair. Dealing with Suspiria messes with everyone's head. That's what she does. Fine. What about the creationist? Oh, for Christ's sake. That's right. I told you to help Fole fight Mudman in the ribs. It was clear she was outnumbered. She needed help. But no, you had to go off on your... The serpent virus was our best chance of putting it into the creationist for good. As it was, it took him over a year to purge it from his computer system. But he did. He came back just as deadly as ever, whereas Fole is just dead. Chuck. Chuck, look, I'm sorry. Tanya was a very special girl. If if I could take it back, I would. You know that. But, Chuck, that was... That was five years ago. It'll be five years ago next week. And no matter how much time passes, she's never coming back. We shouldn't be fighting. We're, we're not really that dissimilar, we two. <laughs> no, really. Here we are, two men in a world full of godlike beings. All these people with abilities beyond those of mortal men, but we're just... We are those mortal men. But we don't sit back. 
we don't just leave the fight to those gifted with powers. We make an effort to rise to the occasion, no matter the cost. You uh, honed your body to become the stallion, while I honed my mind to create this unit to join the fight as broadband. And that's where the difference really comes out. The differences between someone like you and someone like me? I made a decision based on necessity. My city was falling to crime and I could not allow that. You just decided, what the heck? Got nothing better to do, why not fright crime? I have to go out every day and put myself on the line, risk my life for what I believe I have to do. You make some robot you can send. You get to sit at home in your jammies by the fire while Jeeves brings you cocoa and control this hunk of metal by remote. There's never any danger that Robert Stanton will be hurt. Just broadband model 6.5, or whatever you're up to. Right. So my fight isn't valid because I protect myself? You'd prefer if I'd been decapitated the first time I fought Boulder? That would have been much better. Except for the thousands of people I've helped since then, not to mention the hundreds of nations of people helped by Stanton Enterprises. I see. So because Robert Stanton can help so many people, it's important to protect him, while Chuck Cavallo is a more disposable risk. No, of course not. But all things being equal, I'd rather not die if I can help it. The longer I live, the more help I can do, and the same goes for you, of course. You and I are nothing alike. This is just a hobby for you. Something that you, intellectually and theoretically, think would be nice. But philosophy and idealism are luxuries of the idle rich. Luxuries I can't afford. I've got a job to do in the here and now, not in some dream world of the future. There's crime going on every day, today, right now. And the world needs me here, now, to do whatever is necessary to set it right. So of course you'd make yourself a little robot toy working away at it for years. That way, you can see your plans through to the glorious future. Me, every time I jump into a fight, there's a risk that it's going to be my last. I have to accept that, every foe I face. And I'm willing. I'm willing to die every single day of my life. We couldn't be less alike. We both have the same goal, Chuck. We both want what's best for- But when you make a mistake, you don't pay the price. You're not at risk. You sit in your ivory tower, and you sit there in front of- That doesn't make my fight any less- You killed Full, you bastard! You killed her! Chuck- It was your fault! You took Tanya away from me! Chuck, wait. I- (laughs) Chuck, please! Just- Chuck, stop it! Chuck, look, I'm... I'm sorry. I thought... I thought we were past this. I know Tanya was like a daughter to you, and not a day goes by when I don't think about her. But nothing can change the past. You trained Tanya well, Chuck. I'm sure she... I know she believed in the fight, just like you do. If she got into that fight, I'm sure... She was just as willing to die that day as you were. I'll... I'll resign from the Earth Guard. Don't worry, I'll continue to fund it. I know you do good work. I don't want to get in the way of that. I'll gather my things. Wait. Robert, wait. Don't go. It... It's me. The anniversary coming up, it, it makes me sensitive. I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to... I, I shouldn't take it out on you. 
you didn't... You, you did what you thought was right, just like she did, and just like... Just like I did when I let her join me as full. If I could go back... I know, I know. Come back, please. Sit. Well, uh... The, um... Unit doesn't need to sit, really. It doesn't get tired from standing. I mean, uh, I am sitting. <sighs> Ocean Man was about to encase the EMP in pure water, and Mr. Fahrenheit was going to freeze the whole mess solid. So, uh, did you see Pease Blossom's new outfit? No. It's, uh... Uh, something very, uh, revealing. I guess fairies, I guess fairies have no shame, uh, or, uh, embarrassment, or something uh, pretty unbelievable. So I, I was, uh, talking to Dr. Fast the other day about those new anti-grav belts we've been working on. Uh, he thinks they, they could really... Calling all cars, calling all cars! Jack, what's your status? Well, I'm just hanging around bored. Nothing much going on except, of course, the Time Marines. I thought they paradoxed themselves out of existence. Well, gee, I'll ask them. As soon as they get back from assassinating Thomas Jefferson. Where are you? Old playing card factory in San Fran. Stay put. I repeat, do not pursue. We'll be there in five minutes. As opposed to jumping into the time stream alone? Yeah, tell me twice. I was hoping to become my own grandpa. Over and out. Prime the horse. Already sent out the signal. Attention, Earth Guard. We have a Priority One emergency. All units report an ASAP. We're on the job. Derek McNish as Broadband. Jordan B. White as The Jack. With theme song by Michael D. Mikowski. And that was the second episode of Guard Duty. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Premiering two more members of the Earth Guard. First appearance of the Stallion, who is the leader of the group. And the first appearance of Broadband, who is the funder of the group. I should mention an interesting fact about Guard Duty is that Broadband, the character there, played by Mr. Derek McNish, every time he appears, I think except possibly once, his part was recorded entirely over the phone. Uh, it sounds like he's on a phone because he's, you know, operating a robot long distance. Well, he is on a phone. And in fact, that's why I created the character was so that Derek could play him. And Derek was in Ohio at the time. And so I wanted a character he could play over the phone. Created broadband expressly for that purpose. And he does a great job. He's, I mean, I think he's the most professional actor actor of the type. He was doing an MFA in acting at the time. So 
you know, hey, who do you do? Everybody else is, for the most part, just kind of amateur actors at this point. I don't know. Is anybody here going on to be an actor? I'm not. I'm not going to be a professional actor. If the, I was just going to continue with my grant. I'm not going to be an actor, but I am a performer. You know, a host. A host is a type of performer. I'm not going to be a professional actor. I might become a professional singer. That's right. Um, I, I don't think I've ever mentioned what a wonderful singer Scape is. I think we talked about his great voice last time, but uh, he is he is quite an excellent singer. He sings better than me. Do you want to sing something for them? No. <laughs> right now? Yeah, you, I mean, you could. <laughs> no, no. Why not? Are you, like, embarrassed? Yeah. I'm embarrassed. I mean, I do a really good job, but... I thought, uh, maybe not right now. You really should. Uh, what about, uh, just something. Why don't you, you know, you could sing the song uh, the, from the beginning of the show, the Baby It's Wax song, the theme song from the show. Oh, <laughs> okay. For, for, a, for a second. Okay. Baby, I don't know where to begin. Baby, tell me that I am in like friend. Baby, when I saw you coming in, you been hung me and stabbed me and skinned me and scalped me and kicked me in the sun. I kind of forgot the words for a second there. Still, I think everybody, that was Very really good. good. Oh, absolutely. Let's Let's clap for Thank him. you. <laughs> Thank you. Brother. I could do, uh, maybe I could do a whole concert. Well, not right now. <laughs> maybe on another episode we'll have you perform a song. You were Help me do an album, you said. Yes, I did say that. Maybe. That we would do, maybe, record an album. Probably of covers, mostly, though, right? Oh, yeah. I, I, I like doing covers. I would do my favorite songs. All right. You know, <laughs> that's good. Uh, let's let's go on. Maybe some other time we'll have some songs, but let's go on to the next uh, thing, you know? The next series we're going to hear is called Decker and Hayes. This is the very first continuing uh, plot-driven series we we did. Tractor Fiction was started a, a semester before Decker and Hayes, but Decker and Hayes was the first one with a plot and like characters and stuff like that. As such, this first season, so to speak, of Decker and Hayes, the first nine episodes, were all recorded live on the air. So again, like Tractor Fiction last episode, it's a little bit lower quality. Uh, we've gone back into the original recording that we did off of the air as we broadcast it, and we've remastered it cleaned it up the best we possibly could. It's not perfect. There's still a little bit of studio noise and, and stuff like that, but it's still a really solid show. I think you'll enjoy it. And like I said, it's three seasons, quote unquote, long, and only the first season was recorded live. So once we get past that, we'll be into all studio recordings again. So here we are with the very first episode of the lesbian detective radio serial Decker and Hayes. and Hayes, Episode 1, Parlortown Lows, by Jordan D. White. The city of Parlortown was a dirty city. It was small enough that most of the good citizens of the state only knew it as a particularly bleak and gray patch along the side of the interstate between the places they were really going. But it was just big enough to attract the attention of crime. Drugs were the sin of choice. They ran rampant in every nook and cranny of the city that wasn't in direct sunlight. 
and in Parlor Town, even the sun kept its head low. Where drugs run wild, prostitution can't be too far behind, and indeed, Parlor Town had its share if you knew where to look. Once you've got those type of bases covered, you're sure to run across murder once in a while. Parlor Town had its share of those as well, and far from the neat little crimes solved by witty Brits and stories in the rooms the town was named after. Parlor Town took its murder straight up messy, and it was the local police who were on the rocks. It was Parlor Town with its well-worn porno theaters, dented greasy diners, full complement of alcoholic dives and dusty ghost factories that bore and raised Stella Decker and Macy Hayes. The town didn't know it, but they were its pride and joy, its bastard daughters who were the diamonds polished in the rough and tumble of the city's bitter landscape. Together they ran Decker and Hayes, the only investigation service in town worth a damn. Not that the customers knew it. But they made ends meet when they could find them. And they did it all together. What the hell? Macy! Yes, Del, what? When did the rain turn into snow? Huh, I don't know, hon. Must be getting colder. Typical. Goddamned February weather. How am I supposed to fix the damn truck if this keeps up? Well, look on the bright side. We haven't had a case in days, so we don't have anywhere to go. Oh, thanks. Oh, baby, relax. Rent's not due for a week. We'll find something. I'm telling you, it's Bobco. That stupid fat cop is trying to get us screwed. He's been out to get us since we brought in his partner. Don't you think the fact that you punched him has something to do with it? You heard what he said about you. I wasn't going to let him get away with that. What is it you think he's doing? Calling our potential customers and telling them to go see McGinnis instead? Just relax. I'm sure something will pop up. You'll see. That's your up, okay? Mm. Mm. Okay. There we go. Now, what's going to keep that smile on your face? Some coffee wouldn't hurt. Tommy, Stella needs some coffee. Uh, yes. Stella Decker wore the ties. She had on a white button-down tucked into her pants and had her gun tucked into her shoulder holster. She kept her brown hair short and out of the way. Macy Hayes was more the blouse and skirt type, with blonde hair that went straight down off her shoulders, and she kept her heater in her handbag. The office didn't have room for two desks, so Stella got the driver's seat while Macy sat off to the side. On slow days, like today, Macy would bring in some knitting. Stella played a lot of Minesweeper. Their secretary, Tommy Potsdam, kept the office in order. The bills, too, when there was money to pay them. He was a young kid, just 19, with a look about him saying he'd never harmed a living thing in all his days. Here's your coffee, Miss Decker. Thanks, you're a doll. There's a lady out front, name of Nichols. What? Why didn't you say so? I did. She just got here. Send her in, Tommy. Will do. Miss Nichols, they're here to see you now. Thank you. Hi there. I'm Stella Decker. This is Macy Hayes. How do you do? How can we help you? My name is Tess Nichols. I need to talk to you about my husband. Tess Nichols looked like she was there trying to impress someone. She'd gotten herself all dolled up, full makeup and hair set just in place, every red strand of it. She wore all black, but not conservatively. Her top was a little too open, and her skirt a little too short for that. What seems to be the problem? He's dead. We don't run a burial service, so I'm assuming you've got some questions about it. What happened? My husband, Jack, he managed the old hat factory down on Michigan. We were doing pretty well for ourselves since it was one of the only factories still going in town. Jack got his labor cheap and, well, he managed to pick us up a bit of money on the side, taking cuts for getting people work. Only in parlor towns, people paying to work. Two weeks ago, Jack gathered up every penny we had. He told me he was going into business, something surefire, something that would get us completely set. 
But of course, typical man. He'd tell me it was a sure thing, but he wouldn't let me in on the details. So then last Monday, Jack heads out around 9 o'clock at night, won't tell me where he's going. I was used to Jack being out late, so I didn't think anything of it. Thing is, he's never been out all night before. Around noon, the cops show up. Jack was dead. They found him in a dumpster downtown out by the by the Blue Diner. What did they say happened? That, that's why they were asking. He was shot three times, but they couldn't find anything saying what he was doing there or with who. The waitress at the diner said he'd had a late-night breakfast there all alone and left the same way. And you think we'd have better luck than the police would? Well, I couldn't tell the police everything, could I? Considering the kinds of dealings Jacks had been in before, I can't imagine that whatever he's done with our money is completely on the up and up. He's left me with almost nothing. He cashed in on his life insurance, even. I need to know where that money went, or else I don't know what I'll do. But if you don't have any money... Here. It's everything I could get. One thousand dollars. It must be enough to cover the, you know, the expenses on your case for a while, right? I can make up the difference when, when you find our money. Please... Please help me. I don't know what else to do. Don't you worry, Miss Nichols. We'll do everything we can. You will? Oh, thank you. It's not a problem. We can start on your case today, and we'll get back to you the moment we hear anything. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Just make sure to leave your information with the boy on the way out. Absolutely. Thank you, Miss Decker, Miss Hayes. Don't mention it. Um, okay, so what exactly is the stick up your butt? It's a bum job. We're not going to find her money. Most likely, her Jack lost it all to some bookie on a bad bet. Yeah, but we need that grand now. And besides, how long do you think it'll take us to track down a bad bet? We could be done with the case before tea time. That doesn't help her any. And since when do you care so much about the clients, hmm? You had no problem breaking Mr. Stacy's heart last week, showing him where his little girl went to. Maybe it's only a problem when the client has a bigger cleavage than I do, is that it? Don't be stupid. If it's not that, then what? The money was dirty anyway. Her husband was taking people's hard-earned dimes just for giving them the chance to earn them, making a living off the woes of the city. They don't deserve their money. She didn't have any part of that. She was a party to it. Well, she wasn't to blame. Oh, and how do you know that? Woman's in Intuition. <laughs> Give me a break. You're just a sucker for a batted eye. Trust me, I know, since I'm usually the one batting. Yeah, well, this time you struck out. Very funny, bonehead. Now, how do you want to go about doing this? We contact Sheridan in the precinct, see what he can give us. Then we head down to the blue and check out the scene. That would be standard procedure. Oh, and I put in a call to Benny, see if Nichols had been making any bets, which will cost us a few. Sounds like a plan. How about I'll talk to Sheridan and you get Benny? He gives me the creeps. All right. I'll meet you at the blue in two hours. Stella, wait. Yeah? Don't forget the taxi money. Thanks, hon. Was Jack Nichols a betting man? Do the police have more more line on the events than the widow thinks? Exactly what was Nichols doing at the blue diner all alone? Tune in next week for the next installment of Decker and Hayes, the Blue Plate Special. episode of Decker and Hayes, the narrator was played by Daniel Schwartz, Stella Decker was played by Angela Tyman, Macy Hayes was played by Lynn Nelson, Tess Nichols was played by Devon White, and Tommy Potsdam was played by Nicholas Roach. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Card Murkowski.
And that was the very first episode of Decker and Hayes, our lesbian detective radio serial. Very exciting stuff. Uh, like I said, it's our very first continuing serial, or it was at the time. It was also, it, you'll notice it was written by me, but later episodes of that series will not be written by me. In fact, later on in the show, we're going to have the first episode of a scripted serial, which is written by someone other than me. So we'll get to that later. For now, we've got another section of the show. We're going to get to Rory Sinjin's part of the show, This Day in History. Ready, Rory? That I am? Absolutely. Welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. On April 7th, 1954, President Dwight D. Eisenhower coins one of the most famous Cold War phrases when he suggests the fall of French Indochina to communists could create a domino effect in Southeast Asia. Let's listen. I'm Ike. Everybody likes me. Why? Because I'm Ike. You gotta like Ike, don't you? See, that rhymes. All right. You know, I don't think that phrase is really gonna work. What about, be like Ike? Mr. President, the dominoes are ready, just as you arranged. Excellent! We're gonna have the best domino party in the history of it, and everyone's gonna like Ike! Meanwhile, in the car of Sarah Tolerance, world-famous smoker. God bless these cigarettes of mine. Puff, puff, give, jerk! Back off, woman! Ah! Unfortunately, uh, Sarah Tolerance did throw her lit cigarette out the window, starting a brush fire that burned so hot that communism took over Indochina and the entire world fell over shortly thereafter in this so-called domino effect. Therefore, we must conclude that one must never throw lit cigarettes out of cars. This is This Day in History. My name's Roy Sinjin. Take that home with you. But wait one minute. My name is Rory Sinjin on Cast and Wax with Where Are They Now in History? You're probably wondering how a fire could burn so hot that communism would take over Indochina. Let me explain. What I neglected to mention was that this historical fact took place on a planet in which all indigenous plant life had evolved from rocket fuel. Yes, that's right. An alien race had landed 20 billion trillion quasmillion years ago and left rocket fuel on the planet and that rocket fuel did, over time, slowly evolve into the basis of all life on Earth. So then when she threw the cigarette out the car window, the wild brush made out of rocket fuel caught fire and it burned incredibly hotly. Now you're probably wondering how that connects to communism and I'll tell you. I also neglected to mention the fact that the alien race that I was referring to had developed a kind of rocket fuel that was made up of lots of people working together in form of one thing. So when I said rocket fuel I really meant more like a communist society. In fact the plants were evolved from rocket fuel evolved from communist society and therefore when the rocket fuel burned hot enough it released communism into the atmosphere and all communism took over. That's why you shouldn't throw cigarettes out your window. You could release communism fumes. It's also littering. That's the other reason. Now that you've I'm sure you're going to change your lives. This is Where Are They Now in History on Cast in Wax. <laughs> what? That's what you're, that's what you came up with? A, a plant life evolved from fuel, evolved from, uh, this is, you know what? Okay, you know what? We're going to go, I know you probably have something else planned for right now. Yeah, I was going to. No, but to what the, we're going to do is we're going to go to my Frank Allen interview and I'm not going to be doing the interview I had. I'm going to interview Rory Sinjin right here, right now. Didn't you already have an interview recorded? Doesn't with, matter. That will keep. We're going to get to the bottom of this Rory thing. Now I'm going to expose him for what he truly is. This has to happen. Hit the, play, hit the music right now. Hit the music. Go, go. All right. Frank Allen interviews. Starring Frank Allen. All right, here we go. We're getting right to this. This is Frank Allen interview section of the show. We are going to interview Rory Sinjin. We are going to get to the bottom of this. We are going to show everyone what is going on with this Rory Sinjin person once and for all. Rory, uh, are you ready for this? Yes, Frank, I'm ready. I don't think there's anything you can do that could affect me in any negative way, really. So uh, fire away with your questions. All right. You call yourself a historian. Yes, I am a historian, yes. Um, now, t tell everyone again, where is it that you do this historical research? Of course, 
It's called the Brooklyn Institute for Extra Historical Studies. Uh, sorry, Extra Historical Studies? Yes, sir. yes, Extra Historical Studies. Now that, okay, now right there, that already gives it away. You said Extra Historical Studies, meaning studies of things outside of historical studies. So, in other words, things that are not historical studies. No, 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 no. Uh, you must, you misunderstand. I think it's not Extra Historical Studies in that sense. It's not, you know, things that are extra historical, but rather it is, um, like bonus historical studies. Uh, Additional extra historical studies. Bonus historical studies. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, more, first of all, more like bogus historical studies. I want to say that under my breath. But second of all, that is ridiculous, and that's in the name of a of a of an educational institution. Absolutely. Yes. Extra historical studies. So, so are you saying when you abbreviate this place, it is the B I E H S? If you were if you were to abbreviate it, sure. And how would you pronounce that? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't pronounce that. It's not. It's not an acronym because it, it it really doesn't spell anything worth saying. Bye. Right. That tack didn't work. Let's keep moving on. Uh, let's talk about how you conduct these things because I have seen you conduct your studies, and I want to know exactly how you think that's scientific and what by what crazy trick of lying nature you got money for it. Explain to everyone how it is that you do this. Of course. First of all, I have an extensive group of research assistants who assist me on each and every bit of study. And what we do is we, we basically explore the possibilities of other realities and what, what is possible in those realities. And working together as kind of a group mind, in a sense, we, we project these possibilities and confirm them as well. Okay. That was really unclear because, again, I know I've seen you do this and you didn't explain that in a way that people understand. In other words, you guys make things up. You just stand around and make things up. Well, that's, yes, uh, if you if you have to put it in layman's terms. You improvise it. It's, it's people improvise a scene. Well, no, wait, if you want to, again, why do you have to simplify everything? Why do you have to take away the science and intelligence of the, of the act? What I'm saying is we do a group mind thing. Okay, that's gibberish. No, I've seen you do this. You come in, you say a historical fact, and they start acting out a scene based on that historical fact, and they make up stupid things that don't exist and that are completely preposterous, and then you say, oh, this is real. Yes, because it is real. How is it real? You just made it up. You just told, I just told, we just confirmed that they're just making things up. Ah, now that's where you are incorrect. In a sense, we are making things up, but in another sense, we're not, because if you look at the possibilities of the universe, if you say there are, and we believe there are, an infinite number of universes, and that means any conceivable universe exists. Any conceivable universe. So if we say that there is a universe where a woman named Sarah Tolivance threw a cigarette out a window and it caught fire on brush that was evolved from rocket fuel, then that is absolutely possible in one universe. And in fact, if there is truly an infinite number, then there are infinite variations. And therefore, there must be one universe where this is true. That is ridiculously stupid and not true. I mean, that means there's a universe where I'm Spider-Man. There is a universe where you are Spider-Man. In fact, yes, yes, there is. There's a universe where you are Spider-Man and we are still having this conversation. But I point out that you, in fact, are Spider-Man right now. And you go, that's true. You win the argument I can see. 
I'm not going to concede the argument because you're talking about some hypothetical world in which I am hypothetically Spider-Man. That's stupid. I'm not Spider-Man. I am Frank Allen, and I am not conceding this argument. I am winning this argument. What you are doing is a lie and a fabrication. You are absolutely incorrect, and you are over-exaggerating. And obviously, the American government thinks you are incorrect because I am the one with the grant. Right. Let's let's go into that. Absolutely. So you are saying to me that you have government funding to do terrible improv scenes based on historical facts and going off into historical nonsense. No, I have a grant to do a group think about alternate realities and other possibilities for reality. And it was extended because you decided you can start talking about worlds where people are animals. Well, we hadn't re- it hadn't really occurred to us before, but yes, because we were doing it based on uh, actual historical events, but we said, wait, what if we did one where humans were evolved from cats? What would happen then? What would that be like? And then we did a, we did a, we proposed what that world would be. And therefore, in doing that, discovered that world. Because as I said, that means that is a world. And the government realized that this was a valuable thing to do. How is this a valuable thing to do? This is stupid. You are stupid. You know, I, I don't think you're a very professional interviewer. I am a professional interviewer. I just am not used to interviewing idiots. I think you've already proven that I am right and you are wrong just through defending your position for this long. Well, I think I disagree, but uh, I suppose you're entitled to your opinion. But I would like to point out that one of us is doing what we love professionally and the other one is piggybacking upon Jordan. All right, cut off his mic. Cut off his mic right now. Cut off his mic. Thank you. Uh, You know what? That wraps it up for Frank Allen interviews for today. I'm going to, we're going to be back next time with more interviews. Let's get on to the rest of the show. This has been a Frank Allen interview. And uh, there'll be another one next time. Okay, so do you feel better about yourself now? I don't know what you mean, but I'm fine. I'm happy with the way the interview turned out. I think he's been revealed. Revealed as a historian, yes. Will you shut up? Guys, guys, this is going a little nuts. Why don't we all just move to our separate corners and we'll get on with the show. Frank, why don't you tell everybody about this next show? It's the first episode of Debatatorium. Yes, absolutely. Actually, yes, it is. Okay, uh, Debatatorium is a show that we did after we finished doing Tractor Fiction. Uh, we decided we want to still do a debate show, but rather than debating a religious tract, we'll debate just any topic we come up with. And, um, so what I said is, I'll, I'll pick really hot-button issues, serious things, and we'll decide them once and for all, get them out of the way. Because really, is there is there any is there any problem that can't be solved through 20 minutes of two people, you know, hashing it out? And the answer is no. We we really get to the bottom of everything in this. So this is the very first episode, and it, it was done in a style that was a tournament style, as you'll see. So debaters get to come back and get to a champion debater. It's going to be quite, quite wonderful. Excellent. So as he said, here is the very first episode of Debatatorium. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Debatatorium 2006, the very first premiere, number one episode. My name is Frank Allen, and of course, this is a show in which we debate uh, very hot issues and we decide them for everyone so that you don't have to worry about them anymore. Uh, we have two experts here, uh, two experts, two debaters here, and a number of experts to deal with this first topic. Let me introduce our debaters. Uh, debater number one, please. I am Lord Venton Zest. Lord Venton Zest, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well. I'm a dandy young man from the 18th century, where I was born and raised. Welcome, welcome to our time. 
And of course, debater number two. Allow me to provide the real introduction to the foe who rather laughably challenges me. He comes from the past, a time of ignorance, and hails from Earth, a cesspool of ignorance, whereas I come from the future, a far more enlightened and glorious area, in a planet that makes this planet... Planet science is where I come from. It makes planet Earth look like where the miserable, filth-encrusted rest may areas I, on your Route 17. May I mention to my currently unnamed challenger that... No! My I, name is Dr. Passus. Dr. Passus, may I remind you that I do not come from a cesspool of ignorance, but a cesspool of fashion. Dandiness! That's, uh, okay, well, that's very interesting. Let, before you debate your own backgrounds, let's get to the actual topic. Uh, this for our premiere episode, it's very, very much a hot-button issue. We're going to debate whether or not the war in Iraq, uh, the current one, in this time, is a good idea or a bad idea. Uh, now, everybody has an opinion on this, of course, and as we all could have guessed, Lord Zest believes that this war is a just war, a good war, Whereas Dr. Parsis from the future believes it is a terrible idea. Uh, the attacker always gets to go first, so Dr. Parsis, tell us why this is a very bad war. First of all, regardless of whether you Earthanoids decided to fight a war or not fight a war, your reasons would be wrong, and the results would be stupid. I believe not fighting war is a simpler thing for you to do than actually fighting a war, because fighting a war is complex and would cause more of a chance that your simple brains would miscalculate things. If you fight a war, you'll blow each other up. There'll be a crater, which is fine for me, because I could use your smoking heap to plant my garden of delicious fruits. But, from your point of view, it's a mistake to fight this war, because if you don't fight it, what could go wrong? Nothing. That That's a very, uh, that's very... Good point. Um, but perhaps, uh, Lord... Now, uh, before I Zest. can begin with my rebuttal, I need my uh, lead navigator here to tell me what the devil is Iraq. Oh, that's area in the... Good God, they changed the name to Iraq already? Huh, all right. Uh, well, anyway, you have proven quite well that you are the one that comes from a time of ignorance. For we have already figured out, with our human science, back in my day... That there are four humors with which the human body is constructed. And war is a natural result of when the black bile in the human body becomes too much to bear. And we become quite, as we would say, a choleric and angry. And we must find a way to reduce the black bile before it gets to criminally dangerous levels. And we all, well, snuff it. So therefore, war is necessary to keep our species alive. Uh, We've dissected many of your humanoids, and very few black substances came up. They were more of the red and purple and pink varieties. Well, Purple's quite a pretty color. And where is Iraq? And what is the United States? But you're arguing against the war, even though you don't quite know what it is. Oh, the United States, uh, th those uh, ruffians that... Uh, Split off from us, right? Have they gotten smallpox yet and just died off already? No, actually, they um, are much bigger than your country now. Uh, much more powerful. <laughs> I bet they don't have even a fraction of the size of our military, though. Especially uh, our navy. The good old British navy. Interestingly enough, we have an expert on the size of the uh, um, U.S. Uh, military. Hello, my name's Rex Conquest, and I invented war. Welcome, Rex. Uh, now, you wanted to talk to us about You are the, a lifesaver, my good man. It's true. I, now, I believe you're going to provide details on this specific war, which neither of our debaters seem to know much about. Yes. 
Um, please do. Uh, now, uh, gentlemen, uh, debaters, if you have any questions about this war, ask him and he can tell you everything about it. He knows quite a bit. Now, are these uh, fellows in Iraq, are they, are they quite the fashionable and uh, dandy chaps? The people of Iraq, while being very war friendly, are not what I would consider fashion friendly, except they are often to be found in combat fatigues and khakis, always the height of war fashion. Uh, uh, combat fatigues, uh, is that just a fancy word for top hats in your, uh, 20th century lingo? Nope. Um, no, interestingly- God, uh, not even top hats? How can they fight a war with such terrible fashion? Interestingly, the soldiers don't wear top hats. But, uh, Dr. Parsons, did you have a question for, uh, Mr. Conquest? I was curious if either side had an agenda that involved planet science. So you have to wonder, as I mentioned when I stopped by earlier- that the only sources of your earthenoid culture that come to our planet are Monday Night Football, WHRW Binghamton, and Jack Chick Tracks. And what I've learned from that is that Americans are always ready for some football. People listen to weird music, as opposed to the beautiful music of Planet Science, which goes like this. And third, the United States of America is a den of sin. Well, I know not about uh, these uh, den of sins. Excuse me. But I suppose Lord there might Zest. Be... Oh, Which yes, of sir. us invented war here? Seriously. Now, to answer your question, Dr. Parsis, as you may know from watching all of your football, there is nothing more glorious than when two groups of men hurl themselves at each other in lethal combat. Now, the war in Iraq is just such a beautiful heaving of man-meat. And what sort of worthless trinkets is this war being fought over? Doctor, when you've invented war like I have, you come to understand that it's not what you're fighting for. It's the fact that you're fighting. And uh, that, that is, uh, unfortunately, uh, Mr. Conquest does have a plane to catch, but uh, thank you for stopping by. Always a pleasure. Keep warring. <laughs> I think we might have, uh, well, and we're going to keep fighting. How am I supposed to listen to a man who doesn't even have access to a simple spaceship? <laughs> oh, please, you come from the planet of science. Us over here it's on planet Earth, we have alchemy. Yes, I can transmute your ass into gold. Don't tempt me, my that, friend. That would make him rich, and I don't think you'd like that. Uh, but we do have another expert here <laughs> who did want to say something uh, about this debate. It's quite good. Hello, my name is Mrs. Quiet. I am a librarian and uh, historian from the planet science in the future. Welcome. Uh, now, Thank how you. did you, you came back in time as well? Did you come with Dr. Parsons? I did, no, I came on my own. On your own, okay. I did hear about this incredible debate in the past, and I thought I could shed some light on the situation. Oh, please. Well, I don't necessarily have an opinion to impart. I would like to just qualify, by the way, that, that my name is Mrs. Quiet because I am the quietest person from Planet Science. You may have heard Dr. Parsis's booming voice. That, that is the norm on our planet. Okay. I've never heard of this quiet person. Probably because she talks so quietly. Very lightly. As I mentioned, I am very well versed in the history of the universe oh. as a historian from the Planet Science. And I'm here to let you know what happens when you actually engage in the Iraq War and continue it beyond this year. Oh, please. As soon as the war starts, everybody turns into robots. Um, actually, I'm sorry. The war started a few years ago. I mean, you may be calling it a war. I'm talking about the all-out war where everybody starts bombing each other. That's going to start in about a year. Now, um, are we going to turn into fashionable robots? That's sort of your opinion. I don't really consider robots fashionable. Do they get, do they get to wear nice top hats? No. Oh. Anyway, 
That's wonderful for people like us on Planet Science because we get to use you as resources, but that may not be the best for you as humans, so you'll have to use that information to decide for yourselves. Thank you. That's very, that's very educational. Um, Miss, uh, Lord Zest. Lord Zest. Yes. Um, given that we are all going to be turning to robots, I mean, granted, you'll be I, I long won't. dead. I'll be long dead. You'll be long dead. Yes. Because we'll send you back after the show. But thank you for Good coming. Good riddance this time, Herod. We're going to all be dead. I mean, sorry, we're going to all be robots, which I guess means in a way we're dead. Is that good? Why do you think that's good? Oh, oh, me? I, yes. I never I never said it was good. Well, you're, you're I, I'm just war. saying it's good that I want to become one of these unfashionable little drones. No, but why do you think this war is good if it's going to turn us into drones? Oh, why? It's a secret. I'm sorry? <laughs> it's a top secret I, I, I right. can't tell you. Well, in that case, I'm really, really glad that we booked uh, one of the top psychics right now uh, to come in and read your mind and tell us why you think it's a good thing. Uh, please, uh, sir, introduce yourself. Hi, my name is, is Ron Sermon, and I am one of the leading psychics um, in the uh, northern United States. Thank you for coming. Oh, yeah, thank you. It's good to be here. Can you please tell us why this gentleman thinks the war is a good thing? Uh, well, I can tell you why he is not going to think it's a good thing, because I'm seeing cluster bombs. Someone hold my hand. Yes, cluster bombs... While he's on the toilet seat. My, no, I'm sorry, the Iraqis are going to send cluster bombs back in time to kill him? That's, a, that's all I saw was just a cluster bomb falling on him while he was on the toilet seat. a cluster bomb. Oh, humans wow. in their external excretory systems. <laughs> Sides, I don't know this thing you call a bathroom, but anyway, I, I feel like after this debate I need to take a little uh, walk to the lavatory. Okay, well that's... Uh, doesn't bode well for our bathroom. But can you can you get a reading on on Doctor Parsis? I'm seeing um his future, but I'm kind of confused because he's in the present and he's from the future. So I I just I don't even know where the hell I am right now. <laughs> you and your disorientation. It amuses me. And and Mrs. Quiet, if that's your name, I I much appreciate the fact that you've come along here. It's so great to have another civilized being instead of these waste of waste of whatever they're made of carbon. I believe my research. Tells me. Well, Dr. Parsis, I, I would also like to throw some support your way in uh, agreeing with you that this war does reveal the ignorance, I, I believe you called it the cesspool of ignorance, that Earth is. Yes, I said uh, that. Because and what, I, what I have found is that the reason that the war turns everybody into robots is that the nuclear weapons that everybody is so afraid of, that everybody's been testing, um, actually contain a mix of chemicals that don't actually kill humans, but instead turn them into metal-working robots. Goodness. Transmutation! There's one thing this proves that all the listeners of this crude radio station have, is that before this I thought history was the subject of people not smart enough to go into killer robot building school. Now I've learned otherwise. Unfortunately, uh, we are nearing the end of our program. We do have to uh, wrap up with our final arguments and then uh, decide the winner. Uh, Dr. Parsis, why don't you give us your closing arguments? My closing argument. Well, it would be for the best of everyone of Dark Planet Science if all of you were to kill each other off and we could harvest the remains of your corpses and grow delicious fruits on your barren soil. However, from your point of view, peace is probably a better idea. Thank you for that, and thank you for the music as a bonus. Um, is that a hit song? Uh, no, it's all right. Uh, you know what? Let's move on to... Uh, classical music. Uh, classical music. Lord Zest has his closing arguments. I, I do know nothing about this war whatsoever. However... 
Um, Dr. Passus did imply before that he didn't even know what us human beings are made out of. In fact, I can mention right now that we're made out of the four humors plus fashion, and therefore this lack of understanding of the human condition shows quite well that Dr. Passus has no clue what he's talking about, especially with such a human occurrence such as war, and therefore his opinions should not be listened to, and whatever the hell opinions I'm supposed to be representing should instead be listened to. Well, that actually brings up a good point. What do you think of Dr. Parsis's clothes? God, what is that, 21st century fashion or something? 22nd? My goodness, that's quite an insult. All right, well, uh, taking all this in, it's pretty obvious to me that uh, Lord Zest really nailed it. And he is right. Even though he's not quite clear on what he's right about, he is right. Uh, the war in Iraq was definitely a good plan. I personally think being a robot sounds pretty good because, uh, uh, you know, more resilient. Being a robot is far better than being a human being. See? I, I, I pity the whole lot of you, and I believe that I have lost solely due to bias against... You are biased against your fellow creatures. For your fellow creatures. How can I be biased against creatures for creatures? Because, as you would know if you were paying closer attention, I said the wrong thing first and then promptly corrected myself. Do I need to draw a flowchart to illustrate this simple point? I have a spaceship to catch. There's an exciting game involving the New York Giants. I oh, think you they could go all the way. Oh, I, you silly, silly, silly thing, you. I hate to break you. it to you, but don't bother. Oh, oh They're going to lose anyway. As you 21st century types might say. Well, unfortunately, uh, we are not ready for some football right now, but we are ready for an entire season of Debatatorium 2006, continuing next week with more debates. Uh, thank you to uh, Dr. Parsis, who unfortunately did not win, and thank you to Lord Zess, who did win, which means he will be back to debate again for the Debatatorium I Championships. I take my top hat off to you all. Thank you all, and good night. That episode of Debatatorium featured the voice talents of Frank Allen, Nicholas Roach, Jacob Thompson, Daniel Schwartz, Lynn Nelson, Patrick Ganan, and Jordan D. White. Thank you very much, Rory. And uh, we don't have a whole lot of time left for this episode, so I want to get through it because I want I, we try to keep the episodes of a length that you can fit them on a CD if you need to. So you can put them on a CD and listen to them as a CD. So we got to keep it going. We're going to get to the next episode, which is the second episode of Epic Echoes. Now, if you remember, Epic Echoes is the backwards series, so this episode takes place right before the episode you heard last week. You understand what I'm saying? It takes, takes place before it. it. It works, trust me. This is also the very first episode on this podcast that is a scripted serial written by someone other than me, because I wrote both episodes of Guard Duty. I actually wrote all the episodes of Guard Duty. I wrote the first episode of Epic Echoes, and I wrote the first episode of Decker and Hayes. But this is written by my good friend Daniel Schwartz, who also acts in a number of the things you hear. So let's get right to it. Epic Echoes. Series. Episode 2 
Revelations or the Kingdom Come by Daniel Schwartz. Before Alyssa's words had faded, the Flashpack's trolley was already falling through the dimensional rift. There was the now expected flash of light and long, low hum. When the smoke cleared, they were on a finely manicured lawn. Shucks! I had so much I wanted to ask her. Well, you know those godlike magical beans. Never ones for long conversations. No doubt. Hey, look over there. You mean the big white building? That's the White House, Crisp. There's only one? No, Crisp. There are many white houses. There's just one white house. Is that Zen? No, it... (sighs) I'll explain later. Well, I guess we know where we are. Now, when are we? Oh, hey, my watch started again. That must mean we're not outside time anymore. Then Drow's Field is still closing around the Earth. There can't be much time left. Well, at least we don't need to go far to get to Jimmy. Let's go, gang! The flashback ran into the White House. A security guard stepped forward to confront them, but stopped suddenly, his face alight with wonder. Oh my god! You're the flashback! I've read all of your comics. You guys are amazing! Yeah, sure, you're the real hero or something! Now get us to the president! Gee, I'm, I'm sorry, guys, but he's got a lot to do, running running the country and all. Do you have an appointment? Well, no, not technically, but it's really important, sir. It's about Dralis. You guys are taking care of that? Wow, I was so worried, but if the flashback's on it, then there's nothing to get worked up about, right? The future of mankind depends on you letting us see the president, you blithering simp! Hey, Miss Slaughter, there's no need for- it, It's okay, Chung. They're cool. Jimmy, thank God you're here. Alyssa from Outside Time told us that you're- The reincarnation of Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, I know. It sounds less exciting now that you've said it. Jumping Jupiter! You knew all along? Hardly. I only found out this morning when a clerk from the National Archive brought me this. The young president handed a piece of delicate parchment to Max. He unfolded it and read it aloud. To my future self, dear sir, it has come to my attention that an imminent threat to our young nation, indeed, all of humankind, is upon you, or perhaps will be. I will confess that speaking to a man some 200 years in the future who is also, in some manner, me, fills me with profound confusion. Regardless of this, however, I ask you to remember that you do not stand alone. As my loyal colleagues, Adams, Madison, Franklin, and Washington, men who I consider friends despite our many differences of opinion, remain beside me in the struggle to assure our foundling nation's survival. So shall these noble souls join you in the battle yet to come. Have faith that Providence shall not abandon you in your hour of need, as I do in mine. Your obedient, T. Jefferson. That letter was apparently sealed on July 7th, 1776. I don't know how he knew, but he seemed to believe I'm his direct reincarnation, and that you guys are also somehow connected. Well, that makes no sense. How could we be part of it? It's not as crazy as it sounds. Have you guys ever heard of Jati? Is this another one of your crazy Buddhist things? No, seriously, hear me out. A Jati is when a bunch of souls keep reincarnating in similar circumstances. They tend to know each other or become fast friends very quickly. It would explain Jimmy's rapid rise in politics and how we all formed the flashback when we were just kids. You honestly expect us to believe that we're the founding fathers of America? After all we've seen, it sounds almost reasonable. Think about it. We're professional adventurers traveling time and space to stop those who would dominate others. We've been fighting for independence, our own and others, since we formed the Flashpack. Maybe we're echoes of the people who struggled for freedom when this country was founded, fighting another epic battle to defend what we believe to be right. In which case, we've already got what we need to win. Courage, determination, character. Yeah, too bad we don't have numbers, firepowers, or time. Knowing we have the Tommy seal of approval is nice, but it doesn't stop Drowls from squishing the planet. That's enough of that, Keen. 
I know the odds may seem slim, but if King George couldn't stop our JD- Jati! Whatever! Then Queen Drellis doesn't stand a chance either. Flashback! Flashback! Jimmy left with Max to call a meeting of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Molly and Keen went to try and repair the trolley to make it spaceworthy again. Slaughter was about to join them, but noticed Crisp looking at the parchment thoughtfully. What's up, Crispy? Molly talks about souls and births and destinies. Now this letter confirms everything she says. So what? So where does that leave me? I'm a clone, Slaughter. I wasn't born. I share a soul with millions of Dralis troops. I was destined to enslave the universe. How can I help stop her? Look, guy, I spent a lot of time with the pack. I fought the spiders from Mars, the Atlanteans. Heck, we've defeated Cthulhu twice in the last year alone. I've seen some of the worst people the multiverse has to offer, and you know something? Many things. What in particular are you referring to? You're totally different from all of them. If Molly's really right, and all this crazy stuff about Jay-Z... Jatis. Whatever is true, well then I'm honored to have you be a part of mine. You with us? All the way, slot. I told you not to call me that. Oh, because Crispy is totally not a demeaning nickname. Well, no, but that's different. Why is it so different? It's funny when I do it. As Slaughter and Chris headed toward the trolley, Molly and Keen were already there. Man, this looks bad. It'll take a lot of duct tape to get the meson emitter back online. We have a meson emitter? Yeah, we took it from Dr. Von Wicked's lair that one time, remember? Oh, yeah. How's the transducer looking? Totally shot. So much for that lifetime guarantee Julie got. <laughs> I miss her too, Molly. She, she was like a sister to me. We shared everything. Now it's like half of me is gone. I don't know if I'm I'm strong enough to save the day this time. Well, Max didn't ask if you were, did he? What do you mean by that? He just gives us orders and expects things to get done. We lost Julie, for Christ's sake. How can he expect us to carry on as if nothing had happened? I can't believe you'd say that. You think Max hasn't been hurt by all of this? He's buried a lot of friends in the last week, and you think he's just shrugging it off? Then why all the Jinkies G. Willikers stuff like normal? Because if you waste too much time grieving, Dralis will destroy the world. Then he'll have the death of billions of innocent people on his hands. A good commander has to be able to push on. And there isn't a better commander alive than Max Thornfield. Yeah, you really think we can win this? If we can't, then we'll have tried everything we could before then. Now quiet, that guy's coming again. Um, hey, Miss Keen, uh, Miss Singh, I, uh, I thought you guys might want some coffee. Wow, thanks! Just what we needed, right, Keen? Exactly, Molly. So, you knew the president before he got elected? Jimmy? Oh yeah, he was a member of the Flashpack for a while. Yeah, he's, he signed all of his issues for me. What was he like? Scared, mostly. He puked in my shoes once on Planet Q. Well, yeah, he was always like that at first. But once he got over that, he'd be able to talk his way out of anything. Jimmy's great like that. He can walk up to complete strangers and make them think they're the biggest thing in his life. <laughs> and he could probably sell darkness to the mole people. Remember that time he seduced the Empress of Alter Earth? That was the one with the big hair, right? Well, they all have big hair. That's not the point. He was charming her pants off, literally, when an hour before we'd had to drag him kicking and screaming through the world door. Wow, that sounds amazing. Pretty amazing. Still, he's better off as president. He loves helping people, and he can really change this country for the better. Now we've got to get back to work. Thanks for the coffee. After their meeting, Jimmy and Max returned to the lawn. How's she looking, guys? Like your mom after last night. What happened to my mom last night? The explosion, remember? Oh, yeah. So, she's pretty beat up? All joking aside, yeah. I'm not sure we can get her off the ground again. Which means that we're pretty much sitting ducks unless we can think of an alternate method of transportation. 
Why so paranoid, Slaughter? Am I the only one who realizes Dralis could find us any time? It's a risk, sure, but I don't think that's that bad. I mean, she can't find us when we're outside time, and she has no way of telling when we return. I'm not that worried. Suddenly, an explosion rocked the lawn, blasting the front of the White House to rubble. Dralis' battle nova settled onto the grass. Me and my big mouth. Can the flashback do their previous incarnations proud? How will Alyssa's warnings figure into their plan? Is Earth's fate sealed? Find out in the thrilling finale of Epic Echoes. Goodbye, Kiss. In that episode of Epic Echoes, Guinevere Eckert played the narrator, Nicholas Roach played Max Thornfield, Angela Tymon played Dralis, Jordan D. White played Crisp, Devin White played Molly, Lynn Nelson played Slaughter, Tong Wen Wong played Keen, Daniel Schwartz played Jimmy Kovacs, and Sam Thomason played the security guard. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Card Makowski. All right, that just about does it for this episode. Um, I do want to say thank you for listening, and thank you for everybody who was involved. Thank you for Scape for singing for us earlier, although he's taking a nap right now. Thank you to Rory for doing Where Are They Now in History and for participating in the interview. Thank you for Frank doing the interview, um, and thank you for me for being here and making all this possible. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I probably shouldn't have said that. Next week, we're going to have the final premiere of one of our serials, as in it's the first episode of a new serial that you've never heard before, but it's the last of the new serials we're going to be premiering anytime soon, if you get what I'm saying. Huh? Huh? We'll probably have another guest interviewed by Mr. Frank Allen, and we'll have all sorts of crazy talking about stuff stuff. So that's fun. To take us out, we're going to hear the rest of the Waxwork theme B that we started the show with, called Baby It's Wax, and that's about that. Enjoy, and have a great week. Be seeing you. It's time for you to see Baby, I am down on my bended knee Baby, tell me, will you marry me? I am asking you, begging you, telling you, forcing you, till you accept me Baby, it's wise that you love me but it wanes when we're apart Makes me cry like a baby, baby And the only tissues I can use are your heart But there's one thing I can cling to Shows me where you're coming from There's just one thing that makes me know you love me And that's wax work Baby, it's wax that you love me But it wanes when we're apart Makes me cry like a baby, baby And the only tissues I can use are your heart But there's one thing I can cling to Tells me where you're coming from There's just one thing that makes me know you love me And that's waxwork.com That's waxwork.com On the next Cast in Wax, in Decker and Hayes, the duo follows up on Jack Nichols' death. Sure, a guy like that was in here yesterday. Sat alone in the corner there all night. Ordered the Blue Plate Special. Blue Plate Special? What's so special? This is the Blue Diner, ma'am. 
everything is the blue plate special. In guard duty, the team gains an unexpected old member. We were all staring at Fall because she's supposed to be dead. She's been dead for five years, so you can understand our position. Perhaps, except... Except? Are you quite certain that she had been dead? I hadn't noticed. On Tractor Fiction, we investigate whether good deeds are good enough. Yes, God cares about souls, but he also cares about social justice, the poor and the needy. We must unite to fight ignorance and bigotry. He's right! Amen! Praise God! He's wonderful! And then the premiere of Like Mother, Pandora Darling, finds out some strange things. I'm not crazy. I'm still your same old mom. Who took you and Tabby skating last week? Who taught you how to hit backhand? Who taught you how to drive without running down even one enemy agent, even though they were everywhere? Mother! All this on the next episode of Cast in Wax, coming April 14th to Waxwork.com.